0: You know, Easter is a joyous time. It's a wonderful time. It's probably the center of
1: all that we believe. It is the center of all that we believe. That Jesus arose from the dead. Now, why is that significant? Because when Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, when he was talking about salvation, when he was talking about the forgiveness that he would give, when he was extending that call to those who were burdened, the reason why we know that all of that is true is because Jesus arose from the dead. And it brings joy to our lives, to consider that. When you consider Easter, it should be a joyous time. It should be something that warms your heart, that you realize that I'm forgiven and that God loves me. And that He loved me so much that He sent Jesus to die for me. But that wasn't just enough. He only sent Jesus not just to die, but to rise again, as the Bible describes Him, as we'll see here in a little bit, to be the first fruits. That is, the first of those who would go before us and give us the promise of a resurrection for each and every one of us. Now, but there's a problem. While it should bring joy into our lives, what I have noticed, and it's probably true for some of you who have come into this place this morning, is that joy is the furthest thing from your mind. Maybe you've had a rough week this week. Maybe you've been having a rough weeks. Maybe you've got difficulties, financial difficulties. Maybe you have struggles at home in a spousal relationship. Maybe you're having difficulties with your kids. And you think about joy and you think, Joy? I don't have any joy. Hard times are upon you. And yeah, you're here to celebrate Easter. And yeah, you embrace the reality of Easter and the promises that Jesus has given you. But joy, that's the furthest thing from your mind. Another word for joy, because I wanted to look and see what were the words that were similar to joy. In our dictionary, joy, part of the meaning of joy, according to Webster's, is happiness. Isn't that something? When we talk about ourselves today, I can almost guarantee you that all of us are striving for what? Happiness. Do we find it? Are we honest with ourselves? Do we find it? Yes or no? No. Sometimes yes. And so what you find is is people who are in this endless pursuit of being happy. And in that endless pursuit of being happy, they really find no joy at all, do they? See, what we're going to look at today is in Hebrews. And you're probably wondering, why Hebrews 12 for Easter? Well, you'll see in a moment. We're going to talk about regaining the joy because see, Jesus came not just to give you forgiveness of sins. Jesus came and he said, I've come to give you life and to give you abundant life. In fact, John, if you just for a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll flip back over to 1 John. The Apostle John tells us in his epistle, the first epistle there. He tells us these things I write to you that your joy may be full. See, what what things did he write to us? About Jesus. He was telling us about Jesus and his resurrection and the reality of who Jesus was so that you and I could have happiness in our lives. But the problem is is that so often times we're looking for happiness in the wrong places. Let me, let me tell you a common mistake some folks make. They think that uh, a relationship will bring them happiness. So they fall in love, and they get married, and they're happy for a moment, but then as you progress in your marriage, you ever notice that that honeymoon stage just kind of leaves? And then what our culture says is, well, if you're no longer happy, find somebody else. Find your happiness. For some folks, they want to find happiness in their jobs. For some folks, they want to find happiness in drugs or alcohol. Some, it's in sex. But you ever notice that those things, maybe for the moment, just for the moment, oh, they're pleasurable for the moment. But the reality is, is in the end, there is no happiness, is there? In fact, there's more emptiness and a more desire to find happiness. And John tells us in his epistle, I write these things so that your joy... What joy? The joy that you can have, the true joy that you can have, may be full. So what we're going to talk about, if we're over in Hebrews chapter 12 today, we're going to talk today about regaining the joy in our life. It's a joy that's based not on all this other stuff. It's a joy that's only found in Jesus. So I want you to notice with me. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers then, you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What I want you to see from this passage today are some things that we're going to help to maybe understand how you and I can regain the joy back into our life. Because you're not going to find it in other things. You're not going to find it in relationships. You say, what do you mean? I enjoy my relationships. Yeah, but relationships, can I be honest with you? The other person will eventually, if they haven't already, disappoint you. That's the nature of relationships. You will be hurt in relationships. See, it's not going to be found in your job. You may be living for your job until your boss gives you the pink slip and says you're laid off. And we're not sure when your job will come back. See, all of those things can bring joy for a moment, but they're not lasting joy. Lasting joy comes from who? Jesus. And so let's notice something here. First of all, I want you to notice the encouragement. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Notice what he's saying there. Therefore, we also, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And the sin which so easily ensnares us. Here's the first of all. As we think about Easter, and as we think about Jesus rising from the dead, giving us victory over sin and death, here's the first point I want you to notice. If we're going to regain the joy in our life, here's what he's saying to you and I. He's saying, first of all, deal with the sin in your life. Can I be honest with you? You need to write this down on the side. The biggest joy sucker in your life is sin. The biggest thing that will suck the happiness out of your life, that will suck the joy out of your life, is sin. You say, wait a minute now. But I thought you were—you you told us before that sin, for the moment, is pleasurable. Yes, for the moment. But then afterwards, it brings shame, it brings guilt, and it will literally suck the joy out of your life. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to us here, listen guys, listen, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, what's he talking about this great cloud of witnesses? Back over in chapter 11, he went through a whole list of basically the hall of faith, as it's called. All these folks who went before us, who had persevered in their faith and who had endured suffering and shame and persecution because of their belief. Because we have this great hall of witnesses who are encouraging us to persevere on. He's saying, listen to me, Deal with the sin in your life. Now, I, wonder, I think it's interesting here when you notice what he's saying there in verse 1. If you're looking at your Bibles there, notice something there. He says this. Notice what he says about this sin. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. I, need, I think I need to put something to rest here this morning. Oftentimes, folks around us in our community, and maybe you're here today, we have this concept that Christians are supposed to be perfect. And then we get really irritated when they're not, and we call them hypocrites. You ever notice that? Somehow, way, we have communicated a message that because we're Christians, we're better than other people. How many of you have had that kind of thought before? You know, You've heard people say, well, I'm Christian, I know Jesus, I'm better. That's wrong thinking. I don't know where it came from. That's wrong. Because the reality is we're all human beings. And we all struggle with one issue. What's this issue that we all struggle with? Sin. And I want you to notice what the writer of Hebrews says here. Here's what he says about it. It so easily ensnares us. See, in fact, I think maybe we need to communicate that sometimes to ourselves. It's so that we don't think highly of ourselves and think ourselves better than folks who don't come to church. We need to recognize that sin is easy for you and I just as it is for anybody else. And the encouragement then is, is recognizing that all of us do wrong. Me, you, all of us sin. The Bible encourages here, the writer encourages us here to deal with it. Deal with it. To recognize it and deal with it. Here's the next thing he says, we see it again in verse 1, is to view the Christian life long term. Notice what he says. He describes it this way. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's what he's describing. He's describing the Christian life as a race. Now, here's the problem. Most people run it as a sprint. That's not the Christian life. It's not the 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. And you've got to run it in such a way with endurance, with perseverance... For the long term. And here's what I'm saying. So this is where my point came up. Most of us live our Christian life short term. You and I need to live our Christian lives long term. With a focus on enduring. What does that mean? It's, he just told us to deal with the sin. So when if I don't deal with the sin and I stumble and I fall, I pick myself up and I keep going on. I don't throw in the towel because I messed up. Because the Bible understands, listen to me, the Bible understands that I'm going to mess up. Does everybody understand me? So many folks are throwing in the towel saying, well, I can't do that because look at what I did and I didn't do the right thing. No, you need to pick yourself up and keep going on. Just because you stumbled and fell. The issue isn't how how good your time is. The issue is whether you finish the race. That's the issue. And you've got to live the Christian life long term, not short term. So many people are living it short term. So many people are living it short term and they're throwing it in the towel. And the encouragement to you and I is to live it long term. And he said, okay, well, what does that have to do with me regaining my joy? Now remember what I said. Sin is the biggest joy sucker in your life. When you and I give into it, and we will easily, notice what the scripture says, easily give into it, it will rob us. Because here's the point. Sin always has a price to be paid. Sin always has a price to be paid. You will pay a price for doing what you shouldn't do. Now the enemy, he'll come to you and he'll tell you, oh, just do this. It'll be wonderful. Yes, but he won't tell you what it will cost you later. And it will suck the joy out of you. So you say, what does that got to do with my joy? So there you are. You're being robbed of that joy. And so when you fail, you want to throw in the towel and you say there's no hope. And so you have no joy in your life. The writer is telling us here, listen, deal with it and think long term, not short term. Think long term, not short term. Here, notice something else there. He's going to then talk to us about the reality of Easter. Look with me in verse 2 and 3. We see these two verses discussing the very thing that we're celebrating today. He says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Notice something here. First of all, as we think about Easter, he launches in now as he thinks about you and I regaining our joy. He launches in by expressing to you and I the greatest example there is, Jesus. And so here's what he says. First of all, Jesus focused on the glory that awaited him. You think about somebody who's gone through it. You Maybe you're going through a tough time here. But I'm going to be honest with you. What you're going through is nothing compared to what Jesus went through. You think about what you're going through. And you think about, here's a person who was loved by everybody. Is betrayed. Gone before a mock trial. Beaten. Spit on. Mocked. Slapped. Scourged. Now, when I say scourge, we're not just talking about a belt whipping here. We're talking about literally having the whips taken to you. Ripping the skin off of your back. Forced to then stand humiliated before crowds who are screaming for your blood. Then watch you being forced to carry a huge cross up to a hill where they then take you, nail you to the cross, place it into the ground, not gently, thud it into the ground, have you hanging up there in the heat of the day, To watch you die. That's that's something, isn't it? I don't think any of us are going through that here, are we? And the reality is, is that the writer of Hebrews says this. Look at what it says, because it's almost unusual. Look at what he says. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, here's what he's saying. Here he is, he's writing to these Hebrew believers that he's writing to in this letter who are going through tough times. He's saying, folks, Look to Jesus. The joy is missing from your life. Consider what he went through. And here's what he went through he went through it because he was looking beyond what he was going right now to the glory that was coming. See, I think so many of us, the reason why we've lost the joy in our lives, unlike Jesus, we're looking at now and all the stuff that we're going through, and we've lost sight of what's coming. We're living so much here now in this world that we've forgotten the glory and the paradise and the wonder of what's coming ahead of us. And the joy that in spite of no matter what this world throws at me, I have something far more wonderful beyond it. See, that's what Jesus was looking at. He endured the cross. Why? Because His eyes were set on the joy that was to come, the glory that was to come. Boy, we're so living in now. We have forgotten the focus of later. Because you say, well, is there a later? Yes, because you're an eternal being. Simply because this body dies does not mean you cease to exist. You'll continue on. And so Jesus focused on the glory that awaited Him. And as He focused on that glory, notice something here. He endured the cross. He endured the shame. He endured the mockery. He endured the humiliation. He endured the pain. He even endure death. That's the example of Jesus. He endured it all for you and I. But then I want you to notice something here. Look at what the writer says. The end of verse 3 I think is very interesting. In fact, look, look at all of verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Here's the point I want you to see. His shame, his shame should motivate us. Should motivate us. Here's what I'm saying. You're saying, how how is that going to motivate me, George? I, I, I guess I'm not comprehending here. How's that going to motivate us? Okay, let's let me just give you an example to tell you where we're at. Let's take you. You're living your life day to day. You get up in the morning, you're slapping the alarm clock three or four times, not wanting to get out of bed, but you've got to get out of bed. Maybe you're not awake until you get that shower or that third cup of coffee in you. And then you're off. And then life just throws stuff at you. The boss wants this. Customers want that. Maybe you get a ticket. You didn't need one. Then you got family issues. Maybe the school's calling you because little junior didn't do what he was supposed to do or he's acting up at school. Bills, you get home, you open up the mailbox and there aren't greeting cards there, although they are greetings. But they're greeting. You owe us this. Some of you don't even want to come home because of what's waiting for you in the mailbox or what's waiting for you when you get home in the relationships. And you're just enduring. But some of you just want to throw in the towel. The joy is gone in your life. The writer of Hebrews is telling us here in verse 3, he says, I want you to consider, he says to you and I, I want you to consider what Jesus went through and why he went through it because he was looking to the glory that was beyond. He was looking to being exalted by God. He was looking to what His work on the cross would accomplish for you and I in our lives. He was looking to that and He endured it. And so here's what He says to you and I. He says, let that motivate you to endure what you're going through. Let it motivate you. You need to keep your focus not on what you're going through, but keep your focus on someone else and that's Jesus and God. In fact, let me just be perfectly honest with you. Let's let's be honest here this morning. Let's be real, because I struggle with it too. Stuff happens, doesn't it? Everybody know? Stuff happens, right? Okay, so you're going through it. Here's our natural tendency, because it's human, and we're all human here. Our natural tendency is when we face that stuff is to face it what? Alone. Because nobody else understands. Our natural tendency is to face it alone, and oftentimes when we face it alone, we make a bigger mess of it, don't we? Who is usually the last person we talk to? God. Not the first person. The first person is our buddy. Or mom or dad. Somebody that maybe can help us and bail us out. The last person we look to is God. See, the writer of Hebrews is telling you and I, if we want to regain the joy in our life, is that as you are enduring, think about what He endured and let that motivate you. Let that motivate you and look to Him. Him. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, let that motivate you, and that's where your joy is. Your joy is found in Him. You know what? And there have been many times. Listen to me. Listen to me. There have been many times, and I've had some extreme things happen in my life. My dad, many of you know, was murdered when I was 19 years old. That's a terrible thing for a young man to go through. To just, like that, lose your dad. And some other things. What got me through it is not me, because I know me. What got me through it was looking to Jesus. That's where the joy came. There's no joy in being told your dad was murdered for 75 bucks. no joy in that. The joy came from looking to Jesus. That's where the joy was. See, that's the whole focus of Easter. Easter, my friends, is the risen Jesus, the risen God, the God-man, coming back from the dead, giving us eternal life, giving us forgiveness of sins, and being there. What did he say? I will always be with you. So many times we think of the Christian life as just me, myself, until I go to be with Jesus, my friends. He's with you. Then he gives us a reminder. He reminds us that maybe there is a reason why there's no joy in your life. Look with me with what he says, verse 4 through 11. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You have forsaken the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. He wants to remind them of some things here. There may be a reason why there is... A reason for the fact that there is no joy in their life. And it may not be just because of hardships around them. It may be because of them. So notice with me, first of all, what he says to them. Things are not as bad as they we think they are. Look with me, verse 4. Things are not as bad as we think they are. Look at what he says. For... He's writing to these Christian believers at that time. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. He said, things are tough, but guys, you haven't faced martyrdom yet. Somebody hasn't come and taken your life yet. It's not that bad. You need to remind yourselves that. But George, you don't know what I'm going through right now. You're right, I don't. But it could get worse. So he wants to remind you that things are not bad. Here's the other thing he says, is that it's possible that what you're facing is tied to what I told you in verse 1, the issue of your sin. You say, what do you mean? It's possible that what you're going through and what's robbing you of your joy is the fact that God disciplines us as a loving Father. It may be that what you're going through has to do with the fact that you're not dealing with the stuff that you were told to deal with earlier. That God disciplines us as a loving Father. Father. See, the reason why there's no joy in your life may not just be because of the stuff that's happening around you. May not just be because you're not looking to Jesus and what He has done for you. My friends, it may be because you have taken yourself out of the protective covering of God. Because you want to do your own thing. And that's what He's saying here. He disciplines as a loving Father. Which brings me to my next point. We are disciplined for a purpose. God disciplines us for a purpose because He's molding our lives. Why? Because He wants us to have joy in our life. Because He recognizes that when we do wrong, it it robs us. It robs you and I of the joy that we can have in our life. It robs us. He disciplines us for that reason. So, what are you saying, George? Three things I want you to think about this morning. Number one, ask yourself this question Do you lack joy in your life? Do you lack joy in your life? What do you mean? Well, think about it. Are you happy? Now, now, when you think about that, you've got to ask yourself really that question. Are you happy? Because the fact of the matter is that you may be trying to find happiness and for a moment you have pleasure, but that's not happiness. That's not happiness. Does everybody understand me? You may have pleasure for the moment, but that's not happiness. Remember what John said? John said, "I write these things to you that your what? That your joy may be full." How many of you can say that here today that your joy is full? You might be happy for the moment or what you think is happiness, but the reality is, do you have joy in your life? And it, let me just be honest with you, are you trying to look for joy in the wrong places? That can be another question that we add to here. Do you have joy? And so if you don't, you've got to be honest with yourself because you may not be having joy for several different reasons. One reason we saw at the end here is that maybe you're being disciplined by God. And so, ask yourself that question. The next thing I want you to do is embrace the reality of Easter. Embrace the reality of Easter. Embrace it. What do you mean the reality of Easter? Embrace the fact that Jesus Christ arose from the dead, giving you eternal life, for those of you who have trusted in Him, that you might have the forgiveness of sins. Remember when I told you sin is what robs us of our joy, isn't it? Sin is what robs us of our joy. He then forgives us, removes that shame. See, that's the reality of Easter. He took away our sin. He removed our shame. Embrace it in your life. And then finally, one one final thing I want you to Think about is this: recognize that sin robs your joy, and deal with it. Recognize it; it's robbing you of your lives. And here's the wonderful thing about Easter: if of all of this, what, is, what am I trying to get to? The bottom line is this: Jesus died so that you and I may be free, and we might have joy. So go to Him, embrace Him, find His forgiveness. Find His victory over the things that so easily ensnare your lives. He will give you victory.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania.